0: start talking and then I'll ask you to give kind of an overview of your background and I might just because it's so historic mention that we're shooting this right after the inauguration Uh, maybe I won't it's I haven't decided how to go with that going forward Uh, it's a goal of mine to be infinitely less political at least uh, through the show just because it works
1: yeah definitely yeah but uh, I was hearing this quote because I I did my launch event with Erin Entrada Kelly. Like she's amazing. Um, And she was saying about how joy should be an act of resistance. And so, you know, I was launching my book during a really, really turbulent and uncertain time, like very clearly uncertain time. Um, And it was during that really, you know, I I think I got... I don't know if this is live, but I I think I released my book the the day the impeachment happened. And so it was just a lot going on in that week. But she was like, people still need good stories out there. So sorry, this is my weird soapbox about about kind of talking about current times. But I I think that kids still probably want to read like good literature.
0: No, I agree. I think we should leave that in. I think we should consider that the start of the show. Hi, everybody. (laughs) So we are recording this, you'll be listening to it January 30th, or I don't know, whenever you got around to it. Um, we're, we're thrilled you found us five years later, whatever. Um, but we are recording this January 21st. Uh, we're doing a, a first ever stealth intro. It's a brand new season, episode 101. We're, we're up to new tricks on Middle Grade Ninja, keep them guessing. So here you are, this re- book released, what, January 12th? Yeah. January, my guest, Christina Lee, everyone. Uh, you, the book release is January 12th, six days after an insurrection on the Capitol. Uh, and so you just, you, you keep your head down and just turn the news off so you're not focused on any of that? Or how, how do you handle the stress of that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it it was, a a debut season is always a a pretty stressful time for the author, and then it was compounded by a lot of other things kind of going on in the world. Um, And so I I think that um, one of the things that I was thinking about when I was creating was, I think that kids always want to read books, you know, kids always want to find joy in these times, and joy and hope. And, And also, I think my my existence as an author and, and, and kind of my books are always as an act of resistance to kind of, um, you know, white supremacy and, and, and oppression. And, and I just really want to kind of be able to get my work out there. And so that, that was kind of how I went into my debut week. I just really wanted to create stories that um, kind of make kids feel seen and heard and, and kids from a lot of different backgrounds feel like they could kind of trust a story and find some source of hope and joy.
0: I 100% agree with you, of course, but for people who are listening who haven't been writing for a few days, uh, guilty. Guilty. I, I did some writing today on the 21st after inauguration. Yesterday, I, I watched the inauguration and the day before we were uh, scheduled to record this originally because I didn't know we were gonna be swearing in a president right after an armed insurrection. Timing, I, if, if I'd known, I wouldn't have scheduled uh, any any conversations for January because uh, why would I want to capture my terror on tape? <laughs> uh, so look forward to that next two episodes, esteemed audience uh, that were recorded previously. You, you can hear some of that terror in my voice I think, but uh, for folks who are listening who haven't been writing, how is uh, creating something an act of resistance against white supremacy?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it it was it was in my launch event uh, with the wonderful Erin and Kelly, um, author of these incredible books, *Hello Universe*. Um, I think *We Dream of Space* most recently, Um, and she said that joy is an act of resistance, um, and that was something that was really incredibly important to hear at that time. Um, And my books, I think, I mean, I'm always trying to kind of diversify the narrative. I know that children's literature, I mean, when I was growing up, um, when a lot of people were growing up, it was not quite very diverse. And it didn't kind of reflect a lot of the voices that really did want representation and and did want to kind of see their narratives reflected in books. And so um, I I write about Chinese American characters and and, um, my characters are really near and dear to my heart. I like writing about my culture in my books. And um, to me, that is kind of my act of resistance and my act of joy. I I, I like putting things that, you know, I think are, are worth hearing about that, that little Christina would have loved to hear about as a kid. And so for me, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's a really tough time to kind of be creating and, and to kind of have to sort of cope with everything going on, but I just, at the end of the day, I I want my stories, you know, to kind of reach people and reach audiences and, and um, kind of reach out to those like little Christina's of the world.
0: Yes, there's uh, those pockets of ignorance out there that you're going to stamp out because they're going to read clues to the universe available now. Um, and, um, and 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 they're, they're going to have to go forward with that knowledge, uh, with at least some empathy for the characters in this story that might lead them to think, yeah, if I could have empathy for fictional characters, maybe that could extend to people in real life. Who knows what could happen? Exactly. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. Just kind of developing, you know, empathy and, and kind of, um, including more perspectives in children's literature. I think I'm, I'm always all for that.
0: Would you, um, I had planned to uh, slow walk us to this, but we're here. Um, and I, I wanna learn the process that brings young Christina Lee, cause you've described yourself as a, as a shy and fearful child, now you're on this podcast you've also said that you were reluctant to embrace the culture uh, of your Chinese immigrant I'm sorry Chinese American immigrant family is how you phrased it yes so what what changed and when did it change that you're uh at least enough over your shyness that you're here uh and that you've written a book about your Chinese American well about someone's Chinese American immigrant <laughs> family
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I'm, yes, I was an incredibly shy child. I was the kind of kid that um, we had like these popcorn meeting kind of exercises in school where you like read and then you'd like pass it on to the kid behind you. And I was so scared that I would plan out my like lines. So I would be prepared to say my one line when it got to me. Like it was just like those levels of like childhood anxiety. And so, yeah, I mean, I think I I, I was always, you know, on the shyer side. and, And as a result, I kind of probably turned to books. these are probably correlated. Um, and I loved kind of escaping in the pic- like pages of a book. I loved reading stories. I-, I read through the shelves of my local library. I had the best childhood librarian ever. Um, and so, I mean, I was reading those books, but I wasn't seeing myself in those books. Um, I was, I think I was reading narratives about other people who didn't really look like me and who didn't really kind of come from my background. And so it was, it was very kind of, it was like spectating. It was, it was kind of very passive reading. Um, but then, when I was, I think in, um, I think fifth or sixth grade or something, I, I read uh, Grace Lynn's "Where the Mountain Meets the Moon," um, and that I, I, that is kind of the reason why I I, I love kind of having you know narratives in children's literature that kind of are diverse and have diverse representation just because that book was life-changing for me. I mean it was the first book that I'd read that had a character of kind of Asian descent and um, someone who was the main character and and reading that book and, and seeing Grace Lynn's picture on the back cover it it really made me think like huh like these are these are characters who look like me and and who you know whose culture I can really relate to and and she's front and center like she's the main character she's the hero of this story and not only that but you know here is a Chinese American author writing these stories and so after I read that book I it just something clicked in me I think I I started you know reading more books and I started writing novels and and from that point on I just I I mean it's a long process kind of overcoming you know childhood fearfulness and overcoming you know your shyness and finding a voice but that really was the beginning of it all and, and that kind of was the book that inspired me to want to become
0: an author. Wouldn't it be great if, like, a movie you could identify the one pivotal moment, the one scene that before this, fearful, afterward, not so much? <laughs> yeah, I mean,
1: it was, it was much more gradual, I think, than my, like, 30-second kind of explanation for this whole thing. But it, it really was, I mean, I could very, like, vividly remember, like, where I was when I read that book um, and, like, kind of, like, everything that was going around me at that time. It really was kind of that that pivotal moment, even if, if things took a little longer to kind of develop before
0: and after, let me ask you this question for any publishers who might be listening after you read Grace Lynn's book, did you say, my God, wonderful breathtaking that'll do. That's all we need of uh, of that voice. Let's go back to standard um heterosexual white people fiction from here on out or was there a yearning for 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 more?
1: <laughs> yeah, so I mean it was an entire paradigm shift, right like before that I, I didn't even register that I could. That people like me, like me, could become the main character. I mean, it sounds silly now because I mean, because I'm writing books with like Asian American main characters. But at that point, I truly was like, oh, like this is, you know, this is possible. Like you could have someone who's Chinese and like Chinese in a book. Like you could have books with like Chinese characters. Um, And so that was just. It took a while for me to wrap my head around that. And after that, I, I kind of like after i was exposed to that i was looking for that everywhere i went i mean i i loved furthermore like reading melinda lowe and like cindy ponds ya when i got older and then kind of um reading even more like middle grade and ya that had asian american characters or characters of asian descent i just wanted kind of more i i mean i i read graceland's book and i was like i this is a wonderful book like first of all i want more graceland's books but also i want more books with like characters who are Asian and have, you know, a variety of Asian perspectives. Um, Yeah. I, I actually, I'm, I'm in a writing class at, at, in my school and and one of the things we talked about today was about how um, Asian stories and Asian American stories are not necessarily monolith. And so, I mean, I loved her book, but I also wanted other books that, you know, touched on a variety of topics. Um, and so, yeah, I'm glad that over the years it, it has gotten a little bit more diverse, but I would still love to see kind of even more like books with like Asian main characters coming out in the future
0: that is uh, something I've, I've heard several authors on this show say and, and several authors on um, other shows don't worry about those shows esteemed audience this is the only show you need <laughs> uh, I know when Hannah uh, Khan is uh, most recently I'm thinking of when she was here she she uh, almost month uh, uh, she, she had her own very similar experience in that she would write about I think she said she would write it right write, write about white uh, characters. Um, initially before she felt comfortable writing about uh, her own family and her own culture. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: I think that um, has become just a a universal issue that hopefully is going to be stamped out. One of the the things that uh, Clues for the Universe is going to be stamping out in in addition to ignorance uh, is that feeling of isolation, hopefully, for readers. What, What do you imagine that if this book had been available at your awesome library when you were growing up, Uh, I want to know what made that that, that, library uh, so awesome, but what would Clues Mm -hmm. to the Universe have offered you, and what are you hoping that it's going to offer to readers who are picking it up now?
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, so I mean, I, I was lucky enough to have the best like middle school librarian in the whole world. She bought every single book that we requested and had these like long PowerPoint slideshows about books that she was recommending. I think she read like a book a day. She was incredible. Like, I, I mean, I, I dedicated part of the book to her and the acknowledgements just because it, she was so influential on, on my decision or my ability to become an author. But um, I think that, I, I mean, I, I wrote this book as a love letter to kind of Asian American kids and, and, and put in little things that I would have loved reading in a book when I was a kid. Um, and first of all, I mean, I, this is a book about kind of, like you said, like isolation and and solidarity and friendship and overcoming kind of the the, the growing pains of, of growing up in middle school and overcoming grief and everything. Um And so it would have provided Shy Christina with a really, you know, hopefully heartwarming friendship story. But moreover, I I think I I put in those little like Easter eggs that, um, that reminded me of my childhood. I mean, it's it's really small details. It's, you know, the food that they eat, kind of I put in my like fair share of Chinese pastries in there, because I love Chinese pastries. Um, like the like small like nicknames, uh Rose mother calls her. Um, her mother calls her Bobo, which is like a um a nickname for like like treasure, like a little, my little treasure essentially. Um, and so I, I hope that if I were a kid and I was reading this you know back you know, way back when little Christina in that library um, I, I hoped I could have seen myself and and been able to kind of relate to the things that were happening in the book and and um, seen a character who kind of was like me and and uh, and had you know the same cultural background that I did so I, I I really hoped it could have it could give kids kind of you know um, chinese american kids like make them feel seen but also g- hopefully it feels like a, like a like a hug essentially i think that's what i've said i wanted my book to feel like
0: <laughs> i love that i think uh i think every book's a little bit of a hug <laughs> but yeah. i love the idea of a very specific hug oh christina lee saw me <laughs> yeah yeah exactly A <laughs> brand of hug am i uh, talking to you early enough in the process that that you've heard back from any re- earlier readers yet
1: I uh, yeah, so one of my favorite things ever. I mean, um, I like it's just hearing back from people who've read my book. Um, especially like it means so much to me when it's um, you know early readers who've read it and like they like, you know, I, I I don't really read my reviews, I think the book more so belongs to kind of the public, it belongs to the world now, and and I'm not really a part of that, but um, sometimes people write nice reviews and tag me in them on Twitter, which is really, really heartwarming, because I, I've heard reviews in which people, um, some Asian American readers are like, you know, this was so, like, I, I felt so close to this book, essentially, and, and readers who kind of, you know, um, related to kind of also the friendship component, it was like, you know, it's, uh, this book is a very specific narrative, but I think it really touches on the universal themes of friendship and, and finding your best friend and um, overcoming grief and, and making people feel less lonely. And, and I, think, I think it really resonated with some uh, early readers. And I'm really glad that I've been able to kind of read really, really nice words so far.
0: Well, I want to talk more about Clues to the Universe. I've got all kinds of questions about how you crafted it, about uh, Ro and and Benji and all of that, but I know esteemed audience loves a good How I Became an Author Story, and I don't want to deprive them. Um, So when does it occur to you that you want to be a writer and then that you specifically want to write for a younger audience, or is that, or is this just a book for a younger audience that you're writing and and now you're going to write adult romance or, or whatever going forward?
1: Not quite yet adult romance. I think I'm very still very much in the kidlet space. Um, but I I wanted to become writer, I think, around when I was in sixth grade. Um, I think, you know, I was reading books and I was loving them. And I think w- one day it kind of just weirdly clicked. It was like, okay, well, if you love these books so much, like, why not write them yourself? And um, I started writing and, and for some reason, I mean, I just jumped immediately to novels. I don't know why I took on kind of <laughs> seemingly the more ambitious task of like finishing a novel as opposed to like finishing a short story or poem or something. But I think I just love so, books so much that it was just me trying to like kind of emulate that. And I mean, I still, a, yeah, real
0: quick uh, side question. Is that a, yeah. a quality that's true of you, um, in life in general that you'll throw yourself in the deep end or is that just true for, for your, your comfort zone of books?
1: I think it's most it's most true. in my writing. I mean, sometimes I, I push myself in other ways to kind of like reach for the stars. But books, I really just went all out there. I I didn't know how to write a book. I had read books. I, I didn't know how to write one. Um, but I participated in this thing called National Novel Writing Month, um, and I, I think that was the best kind of training program for me. Essentially, I, a lot of my writing is self taught, and so I was just like, okay, like I have a month. I you know can write. I think my goal for that it usually is 50,000 words but I think it was like 30,000 or something like I'll write 30,000 words in this month and we'll see how it goes I mean a lot of times my my book endeavors are just me wanting to like write like a like a practice book I think and then it like magically becomes a real book I mean that's what I did for my first draft I was like here's my like practice novel, like, like first ever practice book. And then it turned into a full draft. And then with Clues to the Universe, I hadn't written middle grade before, actually, I'd previously extensively only written YA. And so I was like, well, like, I don't know how to write a middle grade book, but this is going to be my practice book. And so I was lucky enough that it. turn into a fully formed book, um, because not all of my books do that. A lot of my books kind of don't have endings or they fall apart or they're shelved or something. But every once in a while I get, I kind of get a gem and then um, I run with it. And so, yeah, I started writing books and then wrote a couple, you know, um, I, you know, as I mentioned, I was writing YA. I was writing kind of all sorts. I, I think I had my like dystopian phase when everyone was like reading Don't
0: dystopian.
1: All? <laughs> <laughs> it was like 2012 was a very specific time period. Um, and so w- eventually, I mean, I I I got an agent. Um, I I after a lot of querying and and pitching and stuff. And then um my first book actually didn't sell on sub, which happens a lot in publishing. And so kind of shelved it back to the drawing board and then That was kind of when the idea for clues of the universe came to me the summer after my high school graduation i was kind of there was a lot of fresh starts going on in my life and i was like you know kind of almost a little burnt out at that point from writing because i didn't know what i wanted to write and where i was going next but then the idea for clues came to me and i just had to write the book so that is how i became an author
0: So, so we got to we got to pump the bricks for just a moment. You say in high school graduation, but you've already got an agent and you've, you've already had one novel go out on submission and, and written mm-hmm. some others. So yes. that, that first NaNoWriMo, one, did you hit your 30,000 count or whatever it was? And mm-hmm. how old are you when when that happens?
1: Yeah. Um, for my first NaNoWriMo, I don't know, I, I don't actually remember if I necessarily hit the 30,000 word count, but I remember that I finished the book in like two months. And so
0: let's yeah, say yes. Yeah, a
1: let's say <laughs> <a little liberal laughs> with, yeah, exactly. A month and then some. Um, so yeah, I, I, it was my first, it was like the biggest sense of accomplishment to finish my first book. Cause I was like, Oh, I'm capable of doing this. So yeah, really neat feeling.
0: And that's, uh, that's a, what, 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 what age were you, what uh, grade I think was were 12,
1: you? I think sixth grade, I was, I was 11 or 12 at that point, yeah.
0: Outstanding, uh, and then from there, is it just, I'm, I'm writing from now on, I never stop, or was there yeah. a period of nothing?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think I wrote pretty consistently, um, throughout middle school and high school. Um, I, I as, as aforementioned, I, I had my dystopian phase, and then, um, and then I was writing a bunch of fantasies at a time. I did Nanowrimo pretty much every year. If I wouldn't do it during November, I'd do it during the like camp Nanowrimo of, I think July or something. They have like a Nanowrimo, and then like a camp version every summer where you can be a little bit more flexible with your word count. And so, yeah, I, I was writing pretty consistently. Um, and then I stopped writing when I, I, I had uh, finished a novel that I was willing to revise and query. Um, I think you have some kind of sixth sense as an author when you know what book is you know, complete versus when it's like good and like has potential or not necessarily good. My first draft was pretty bad, but just like a book that had potential. And so I revised um
0: your your yeah. first book at written at age twelve was, was not was not a perfect work of art at that Surprisingly,
1: point. Surprisingly no. <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay, fair enough. It
1: was, uh, <laughs> yeah, I was nowhere near Stephen King at that point. <laughs> um and so I I I if I think it was probably my third or fourth book that I wanted to revise and I, I could actually picture it seeing it on shelves. And so I revised it um and then that was the book that I ended up querying eventually got my agent with um but yeah it, it didn't sell on subs so I uh, um as I'd mentioned before I had to kind of scrap it go back to the drawing board and that's when I thought of clues.
0: So okay um I'm trying to think how to how to follow that up are you um for all those who are listening who want to be the next Christina Lee um what uh, what's your writing schedule that you're following around school and everything else that you've got going on because 12 to high school graduation to starting to write the novel that's going to be your debut there's a lot of time that goes through there what kind of writing habit and writing schedule did you develop during that time
1: yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I didn't realize how lucky I was in middle school. I had so much free time in middle school. Like I just didn't realize, I I mean, I, I, I think that was one of my more prolific times just simply because I barely had homework and, uh, um it just was like really easy to find time once it got to high school it was a little bit harder um but still like I, I think I I wrote best kind of in large chunks of time so I knew you know certain days would be blocked off if I was particularly busy but on the weekends I could spend a good eight hours at you know Starbucks right in like non-COVID times um or like in college I think it, it's it's a little bit harder just because the classes are a little bit more challenging and uh, um, it's uh, requires I think more like self oh
0: it's a hacker Christina it's, it's Mabel's annual tv appearance
1: oh, all right Mabel goodness.
0: you reckon the story we gotta go
1: the ba- oh saying. not at all <laughs> I think Mabel just made it way better um anyway so uh in college I think it's a lot more self-directed and so uh, something that's been working a lot for me is like I like rising early so like I'd wake up probably around seven-ish or something and like write and then like I really like it just because I think I when you wake up before the rest of the world wakes up you kind of have a lot of time to yourself and you're not like like you know (laughs) there's not a lot of distractions going on in your life at that part of the day so I have transitioned into I think more of a morning writer for sure.
0: So what's that look like? What time uh, do you start and do you just start writing immediately? Do you have some kind of wake-up ritual to get you where you need to be?
1: I, I used to think I had a ritual. Now it's just like as fast as you can get to the computer and start writing because time is ticking. Um, for clues, I, I remember very distinctly I was working. So I wrote a, the book of the novel during the summer after my freshman year uh, in college. And so um, I remember because I was working a, a job at that time. So my job started at 10 in the morning. Um, I think I'd wake up maybe around 6 Six thirty or so I would write you know for a couple hours that was like the best way because it was when my mind was most clear and then I would you know eat breakfast or whatever do my job and then maybe I'd write after work but that's not it. I did the bulk of my work during the morning so are you
0: chugging coffee tea or just just straight to it
1: Drank a lot of tea. I, I like drinking coffee. I think it's weird because the older I've gotten, the more my body reacts to coffee. Like I get like very hyper anxious when I drink coffee. So not as much anymore, but yeah, I drank a lot of, I think green tea or something when I was writing this book. So it was me, my cup of tea, you know, my computer at like six thirty in the morning. And I just, I'd have like a, like one or two peaceful hours to myself. It was great.
0: And then do you, I mean, do you keep a word count that I hit this word? How, how do you know you had a good day?
1: Yeah. So I, I, I um, organize my writing with scenes. So normally I would write one or two scenes during like a writing session. And so I, 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 usually know it's like been a good writing session when I hit, I think one scene or two scenes or something. My word counts vary. Um, I've come out of, you know, writing sessions having written like 4,000 words and writing sessions having written 500 words and both of them feel equally rewarding in a sense. Um, I remember when I was just writing clues, like I, I had written like long books before, but with Clues, I was just—I think—at a very like lost point in my writing life, and so I was like, I don't. it Sounds dramatic, but I was like, was not sure if I was able to write a book again. Um, and so with Clues, I remember each writing session. I literally wrote like 300 words or something, but like, I held on to those 300 words because they, I mean, and, and it's it shows because the my drafting of Clues is actually very clean. I think I maybe did one revision. Um, before it's sold to a publisher and so um, it, it was those 300 words right and like eventually those words add up um, so yeah I, I I think my I don't judge it really by word count I judge it by kind of how significant that scene is to me and if I feel like that scene is complete or not.
0: I like that That's excellent um, a couple of follow-up questions then I, I do want to talk about clues to the universe um, but uh how does one go about selecting and finding a literary agent before one graduates high school
1: yeah oh my gosh okay so um i i I was querying for a while um i i went through the whole like you know sent out a bunch of queries, got a bunch of projections, sent out a bunch of queries, got a bunch of projections, that whole spin cycle. Um, and so I learned a lot though. I, I, I remember I, I queried a couple of agents um, and they were you know, I- incredibly like in- reputable, like agents who clearly had sold am- amazing books and uh, they were very busy, right? Cause I, that's what I assume. Like agents have so much like work to do on top of work on top of all this, um, uh, their reading and, and trying to negotiate deals and stuff. But they took the time out of their day to write me like the nicest long rejection ever. And I received, I think, two incredibly kind rejections. I think one of them was over a page long in which this agent had no she had no obligation to me like this like random writer that she'd never met before. Like it was she took it upon herself to write me like all the things that she thought were wrong with my book in a really constructive way. And so I really value that area of the querying process just because I, I got amazing feedback, even if I was getting a lot of rejections as well. Um, but when I knew- you got I that like,
0: letter, did you take a day to be like, ah, or was it just straight to hooray? No, I was not
1: straight to hooray. I was simply like, <laughs> oh no. Cause I, I mean, it's, it's, it's always sad when you get a rejection, it's never like happy, but I think, you know, couple years out, you know, hindsight is 2020. 20. I, I think I, I, that book definitely would not have gotten into a, 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 into the shape that it would have gotten an agent with had it not been from those very lengthy rejections. Um, I mean, also a lot of the rejections were not helpful. A lot of them were just like, no response or like, oh, sorry. Like, which was fair, They're objective. Um, but yeah, so I got a lot of rejections and then I actually pitched to my agent at a writer's digest conference. Um, I think, when I was, like, 15 or 16 or so, Um, and I, you know, pitched to her and – I was incredibly nervous again goes back to the very shy Christina scared of public speaking kind of thing um so it was like the scariest thing I've ever done and also it was like pitch a novel in like 30 seconds which is like even scarier because I didn't have time to you know mess up or, or ramble or anything um but luckily she requested my manuscript and then uh um, I revised it for a little bit actually it don't really recommend this but I realized the book wasn't ready so I like pulled it to revise a little bit submitted it to her probably a year later and then she offered me representation so yeah that was the timeline of how to get a literary agent I recognize it's probably a little unconventional um but yeah that's that's kind of my process
0: you don't recommend the totally effective thing that you did that resulted in success (laughs) I probably not honestly
1: (laughs) I I don't recommend I recommend querying with a very complete novel I don't I don't recommend finding out through your rejections that your novel is actually pretty incomplete in reserve so
0: Um, well, in in defense, I assume when you sent the novel out originally, you you hadn't dawned on you that it was anything less than perfect.
1: Yeah, exactly. It was high, top tier. I was like, this is ready for (laughs) the (laughs) shelves.
0: It's, it's put it next to Dickens. It's time. Exactly. (laughs) Um, do you mind saying the name of your literary agent?
1: Oh, of course. Yeah. Jess Regal, Helm Literary. I love, I love my agent. I want to put it on record that my agent's amazing.
0: (laughs) And I believe Jess Regal has a seven-question interview available now at middlegradeninja.com. And Miss Regal, if you're listening, come on the show. I'd love to talk to you. Um, so okay, so now you're armed with a literary agent, the uh, first novel that you took an extra year to revise and 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 went through query hell to uh, to make perfect. Doesn't sell, but you don't get disheartened, or you do get disheartened for a moment. And if so, how do you overcome it?
1: Yeah. I mean, I got pretty disheartened. Um, At that point, it's like, it's up to the industry, right? Like it's my agent had done everything she could in her power. And like, she's, you know, amazing and really went and fought for me. And uh, it just, there were a couple reasons why it didn't do well. And I, I mean that, and also it's just a very subjective market. So yeah, it didn't sell. I was like, Pretty crushed actually because I you know whenever you you get to that stage of submission you're almost so close you can it's you could you can almost feel it right like like the fact that editors are reading your book like that's the final stage which makes it all the more heartbreaking when they reject you because you're like oh man like I really made it all this way like I I don't know if this is like an act comparison but like or if you watch American Ninja Warrior but like it's when they've made it through all the obstacles and the, the final obstacle and then they fall and you're like, man, like you weren't really went through that for like everything for, for, you know, you to fall. Like, it's just, yeah. So I, I mean, it's, it's, it's rough and it's also rejection. Like I'd mentioned is like, also not great as well. And so I took some time, definitely. Um, and that was kind of the period where I wasn't sure quite what I would write next. Um, and I wasn't sure which, what kind of a writer I wanted to be and, and what I wanted my next work to be. And uh, so I, I, I took some time, you know, and then eventually I, the idea for Clues Universe came to me. So it was all very kind of serendipitous, but uh, taking some time off definitely really helped in terms of, of, of me writing and kind of resetting.
0: I just want to point out that I have watched multiple seasons of Ninja Warrior and it has never come up on the show until 101 episodes in. What have I been doing? What have we been talking about? <laughs> Fantastic show. Yeah. Uh, so, okay. So you're you're pivoting. What makes you think um, that middle grade is going to be a better spot for you, at least for this first novel, mm-hmm. rather than, than YA? And since it sounds like there's a story behind it, How does the idea for clues to the Universe come to you?
1: Yeah. Um, So I was always, I'd always wanted to write middle grade in a sense, but I was always really scared of writing middle grade because I I idolized middle grade books when I was a kid. I mean, I was reading all those Rebecca Stead books. I was reading all those kind of books off the shelves. Like it was... I loved them and revered them so much as a kid that I just didn't want to ruin middle grade. <laughs> like I wanted to write a good book too. And and so it was always at the back of my mind, but I didn't realize until clues, you know, because with a middle grade book, I mean, as with every book, but like middle grade book, I felt like there was a pressure. I, I, especially with contemporary, I had to be really, you know, insightful and witty and funny and like mature, but also in a way that kind of kids could understand, like it's, it's really, really like intricate work to be a middle grade writer and so i always was too scared to approach it until clues i was like this clues the universe is definitely a middle grade novel Um, and i realized that because that the the idea for clues the universe came to me when um i was uh thinking of this girl who was trying to process you know logically the events of her father's death and it was, she was a scientist, I knew that, and I knew that she would have a really, really hard time processing it because grief is not at all kind of a scientific or logical or linear you know, thing to kind of work through. And so that was the first thing I thought of. And then the second thing I thought of was Benji, um, the artist who would kind of be, a, whose narrative would parallel Rose. And I knew that they would be both kind of missing their fathers and, and the components of the plot came to me um but I I knew that it could not be anything but a middle grade novel because it just dealt with kind of the voice was middle grade like it had the the sense of wonder that a middle grade book would have the sense of you know kids at that age I I mean I I remember being 12 and thinking kind of the world was at once like my oyster and like was super conquerable and also the world was so like hard and weird to navigate and and things such as like getting a bad grade on a test or like facing a childhood bully seemed just as big as like, you know, topics of like, can I go to space? And so I just wanted to capture that in all in a middle grade book. And I think that that was how the idea for Clues came to be.
0: Did you have, uh, without, without becoming the hard hitting, now's the time for you to cry reporter, which I try never to be. (laughs) Um, uh, but was there something specific that happened in your life that said okay for my writing now i need to be talking about grief and the processing of grief mm-hmm. what 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 triggered you to, to, to focus on that
1: yeah absolutely i think that um a close isn't directly inspired by my life and so the things that happen to my main characters are different that happen uh than the events that happened to me um but i mean the the previous winter i'd actually lost my grandmother and and that was my own process of grief that i had to kind of work my way through and and that's actually something that's influencing the book that i'm writing the the middle grade book that i'm writing right now after clues and so um it's just i think um In terms of kind of grief and friendship, I I I remember those feelings as a kid. Like I remember the feeling of finding your best friend. I remember the feeling of um, kind of wondering about like the big questions. I I did science fair as an eighth grader, and so it's very much like first per like you know from my own experiences and and kind of with the tougher topics. I think I I tried to they weren't directly based on my life, but I did try to approach it with kind of the sensitivity that I, I hope would come across because I I knew it was a really sensitive subject and I knew it was tough, but I I hope that I handled it in a manner that kind of resonated with readers and and felt true.
0: That resonated with me. Uh, I've got all, all kinds of questions for you specifically about how to be responsible when you're talking about grief in middle grade, I want to talk about the characters, I want to talk about voice, but before we do any of that, for a poor esteemed audience uh, who hasn't had the the privilege of just reading your book, uh, what esteemed audience, publicists don't send you free books? Oh, it's so great, you should definitely get uh, on, on this free book train. Um, if you would, I, I never summarize other people's biographies or other people's books. It's it's my policy because I, I want to be friends with all the writers that I'm yeah. to. And that's a good way to make sure we stay that way. So yeah. if you would, uh, tell a esteemed audience kind of an overview, uh, clues to the universe so they know what to expect as they're pre-ordering and they're actually just buying their copies. It's, it's available mm-hmm. now, just buying their copies while they're listening to us.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's, a, it's a real book form now. <laughs> Clues the Universe is a middle grade historical fiction, so it's set in 1983 in Sacramento, California, Um, and it's about a 12-year-old Chinese American aspiring rocket scientist Roe, who is kind of grieving her father's unexpected death, and she becomes unlikely friends with this really shy artist named Benji, and together they kind of set out to help build Rose Model Rocket for the science fair and to also search for Benji's long lost father through a trail of his space comic books. Um, And so that's kind of what my book is about. And it kind of it it deals with themes of friendship and grief and found family and uh, and kind of the the big questions of the universe and also the the parallel themes of when art meets science and and when different people meet each other and become best friends. So, yeah, in, in a nutshell, that's kind of what my book is about.
0: Who, uh, who's the ideal reader for the story
1: I mean I it's it's just the book says it's it's for readers age12 but um, there have been I have heard from readers that you know that that age range could expand a little bit um, I, I hope it's for readers that you know, the, the readers that were like me when I was a kid, kind of like browsing the shelves, looking for a book to read, you know, read a book and um, someone hoping to find a good story, but also hoping to, like I'd mentioned, like have a little hug at the end um, from the book. And so, yeah, I, I, I just hope that kids of all ages um, find it and also just, you know, kids who are looking for a story of friendship and family and um, hopefully also, you know, some little Christina out there, you know, Chinese American girl who who could eventually see herself in a book. So yeah, those are kind of the readers I have in mind.
0: And you mentioned the, the age old, not battle, but the um, the, the, the slight conflict between the artist and the scientist. And um, here I am, I'm talking to you, debut novelist, I think you've made it clear that you are a passionate artist. Uh, who worked very hard, wrote multiple novels before you get to this debut, and yet I also know because I read your bio uh, that you are studying economics uh, at Stanford University, standard middle grade author fair, <laughs> so are are you the artist, or the scientist, or both?
1: Yeah, that's a, I, I think about that, um, and yeah, I th- it's, it's economics at Stanford is taught in a very like social science manner. So with a lot of like numbers, it's not very business oriented, it's more like research oriented. So definitely bringing out the scientists and people. Um, I, in terms of, I mean, it's just different parts of my brain, I think. Um, I think there are things that I apply from my writing to my classwork in economics, and there's things I apply from kind of my work, you know, my classes to my writing. Um, And it's really interesting to see how those things like could be compartmentalized and could be separated at times, but also could come together in my, in like the back of my brain to like form new ideas. Um, But yeah, and in terms of, I mean, in terms of what I'm studying at Sanford, I'm studying healthcare economics. And so it's that same narrative of kind of, you know, I'm just passionate about like, people's stories and and even in in terms of like really hard fast numbers you can still draw a story out from the data that you analyze and so i think that it it really does come together and i think that it also also is well summarized by this thing that uh this quote that i heard from this one author event in which she said she was a former science professor and she said that science and art are the same and that they both draw patterns out of chaos and i think that that's just a beautiful quote that has stuck with me all this time
0: yeah but with art you don't have to prove it
1: (laughs) there's no math exactly there's the yeah (laughs) yeah i will admit i'm not i'm not the 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 the, a big fan of math so (laughs) there's that too
0: i love the idea of studying economics because i i assume that you're 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 bit hard enough by the bug uh that we're you and i are going to be doing another episode of this podcast years from now uh and you're going to be on novel number 11. Uh, it, it's going to be amazing. So I, <laughs> I, 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 I'm i just, just going to go ahead and, and, and pre-assume great things for you. Um, but I love this idea of studying economics. I have a bit of a background in finance, and it was so helpful for me uh, as a writer, because if I sit down, I'm a psychiatrist. I said, well, tell me about your particular issues. And then I go and I use that as the basis for a character. I'm a monster. But if I talk to you about your finance and I say, tell me what's most important to you, what motivates you, and you're gonna prove it because that's where you're gonna put your money. Uh, and I'm gonna know for sure that, that 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 is what's most important to you. Well, that's, there's no ethics breach there. What a fantastic way to learn about uh, human motivation and behavior. So what does studying economics bring to your writing? And then we'll, we'll get back to the book.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I think you, yeah, you summarize it super well. It's just, I, I think that there's always. I, I think thinking about economics and thinking about writing is different. I think that you know, in both cases, I mean, if I'm working with with data and trying to prove sort of a causal effect between certain things, right? Um, like, for example, certain uh, you know programs or like certain forms of spending and, and kind of their effects on like healthcare or something. Um, it, it you're looking for a story in that, like, you're looking for something to write about, um, but. It's very like on the paper, very kind of your, you lay all your cards out. But writing, it's actually very different. And th- and that's kind of where the where the two kind of two different brains go off. Um, because writing is kind of like revealing a secret. You don't really show all your cards at the beginning. You don't really, you know, sit your reader down and tell, tell them like, this is what the story is about. You have them find it out for themselves. Um, and so I think that in, in both cases, like uh, studying economics and studying writing, it, it, it is all about storytelling. I think it's just telling the story in kind of different formats and in different ways.
0: That makes a hundred percent sense. Uh, plus you will have something that's a little bit more hireable than uh, my English degree. <laughs> I don't know about out. this pandemic though. <laughs> um. Well, we'll come back to the pandemic because obviously we have, we, we, we got to talk about how you're marketing during times of, of, of pandemic and economic strike and all the other madness that's happening in the world. But by God, let's talk a little bit about Roe and Benji. So why was dual perspectives the best way for you to tell this story?
1: I just knew that it was it had to be dual pov i knew that their story would not be complete without the other um i i, I mean it was weird for me too because i'd always you know written single pov like every single book i'd written beforehand it was always just one character narrating um and so dual, dual pov was definitely a really fun challenge for me because it was like how can i handle these two voices but also i i knew that the story had to be told to through two people because the way that their stories played off each other was crucial to kind of the, the wholeness of, of the book. Um, it couldn't just be from the scientist, and it couldn't just be from the artist. So yeah, that was kind of, I, I think I realized very early on that it, it had to be two people's stories. It had to be two friends in conversation with one another.
0: So how much do you know going in? Do you have some idea of what the overall plot's going to be? And it's got to be set in 1983 and these have to be the characters or do you have just a slight inkling? How how much are you flying blind when you get started?
1: Yeah, yeah. So for clues, I, I had the, you know, plot of the book like the very bare bones I knew that the wanted to build her rocket I knew that Benji wanted to find his father those were kind of the two like big motivators that I was heading out with I think that over the course of the book there was a lot of tinkering with the plot um, just because it, it I don't want to sound too spoilery, but kind of there's a big mystery and how they go about solving the mystery, right? Like finding the father, for example. Um, I had to work that out a lot in my brain. Um, I think that once I I did like write a pretty bare bones outline though, and and that was what I carried with me throughout the book. So once I I had to figure it out for a long time, but once I started writing it and once I started seriously drafting it, um, it pretty much all came out in one draft. So there wasn't that much that had to be tweaking kind of between drafts.
0: Is this a nano uh, RIMO type draft, or how long did the draft take?
1: Yeah, so the summer after my freshman year, it was. Um so it was, uh, sorry, I got the idea of summer after my high school graduation. I nanowrimo that for like 10,000 words or something that summer. And then I was like, okay, I feel like I'm ready to actually write the book. So um, the summer after my freshman year at Stanford, I wrote the entire book. It didn't, I didn't actually do NaNoWriMo that summer. Um, I think it, I, I knew that the, writing the book would take a little bit longer just because I was working around a job. Um, but yeah, I, I drafted it. And so I drafted, I think, I, I think two thirds of it. And then I drafted the last third during the winter break after my first semester, uh, first quarter back or something. And so yeah, between those two kind of um, like big long breaks, I, I just I, I scraped together whatever time I had to kind of write the first draft of that. And then after that, I think it went to a couple readers and then went to my agent, I got those notes back. And then at that at that point it, it um, I the book was ready to go on sub. Sure.
0: Uh, let's talk a little bit about voice because we've got two very distinct voices here. Um, and your, your characterization is, a, I felt like I knew these, uh, both these kids, um, especially Benji, uh, who, who loves his aliens and his comic books, like, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I understand. Um, uh, but, but, but these are two very distinct voices. I'm assuming that doesn't happen immediately draft one. How do you refine those voices? Uh, yeah, that's the question.
1: Yeah, that was my agent's big note to me. Actually, she was like, "These kids sound too like too similar. Like, please make them different." You know, and so that was the biggest thing that I think I had to work on. I think other than the plot. Um, and so for Ro and Benji, I mean, they're two very different people. I really wanted my writing choices to reflect that. So I employed some little tricks in my writing. I mean, for Ro, I always made her sound really factual and logical. So she always tries to quantify things. She never exaggerates. She always says things just as they are. Even with her emotions, she is always very factual about what she is expressing. I think she is easier to talk about her observations around her. then to express her emotions like she won't necessarily say i'm sad she'll say like for example something like i noticed my dad's jacket in the box like I went to go put it away. Um, You know, small details like that. For Benji, I whipped out the fantastical. He exaggerates everywhere. He always says stuff like, oh my gosh, like that felt like a million billion years. Like it was so long, like class was so boring. He always is like imagining things, like always imagining some kind of like alien invasion. Like he, his mind just goes, his imagination is, you know, truly admirable. It really goes wild. And so I... And also, like Benji, like always has these like sarcastic quips and and kind of like, you know, when he was like, oh, I'd rather go to the dentist and like speak in front of class, just kind of these like little like witty remarks um, that uh, was very you know unique to his character. So yeah, through those small little tricks, I tried to make them sound like they were distinct people um, because they very much were, and so I wanted to, to come across that way.
0: And then. Um... Oh, a few, a few different questions on the, on the back of that. Um, although uh, I suppose I should ask, uh, touch back on 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 grief because this is a book we've talked about is uh, intended for younger readers, um, who are going to be a little bit more impressionable. So when you're talking about grief mm-hmm. uh, and about some heavier subjects, what responsibility do you feel as the author for younger readers? Do you feel that you can? Um, well, yeah, let's, let's cap it there. What responsibility do you have? What's, 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 what's the way to talk about grief with younger readers?
1: Yeah, I think I have a huge responsibility when it comes to portraying grief, especially for younger readers. Um, and that's kind of the, the challenge with middle grade. It's just, just kind of knowing what to express um, in a way that, that young readers can access it. And I think that required me to kind of develop some you know, maturity and, and to develop some wisdom along the way. Um, I, I knew that the grief had to feel real in the book. I knew it, it couldn't feel contrived. It couldn't feel really corny or I, I knew I had to do it justice. And so I, I mean, I think like I'd mentioned before, I, I, Roe's story isn't mine. Benji's story isn't mine. I, I it, they're very different kind of um, narratives, but I, I have gone through grief before, and I wanted to kind of capture the feelings that I felt as a kid, you know, dealing with the, with grief, um, and I wanted to kind of be able to translate that to a book, and um, and so, yeah, I, I tried to capture it in, in the realest way I could possible, um, in a way that kind of felt real to me, and uh, hopefully, you know, at that point, if it felt real to me, it'd feel real to other people, it'd feel real to my agent, it felt real to my readers, um, and so that those those were things that I really kept in mind. But yes, I, I really wanted to deal with it in, in the right way. And uh, I really wanted to deal with it in kind of a mature manner that uh, would would feel kind of, um, I think, authentic to to younger kids.
0: And uh, we've established during the course of this conversation that you were not alive during 1983. Um, so unlike some authors who, who might be reliving their glory days when they set their book in the eighties, uh, that's not what you're doing. What kind of research did you have to do to make sure you were authentic to, to 1983?
1: Yeah. I mean, there were so many details in the eighties that, uh, that I was not aware of going into writing this book. I mean, one of the, de- I, I was interviewing my, um, my friend's dad or my friend's parents actually, because they were, I think young, like in their twenties in the eighties or something. So they, they'd lived through the eighties and, uh. They were mentioning, you know, details such as like, oh, you know, placing call to to the city, you're sitting right over um, nearby was different than placing a call all the way across the country, right? Like if you were stationed in Sacramento, you could potentially place a call to Los Angeles, but to New York was just like it, the bills would rack up like it would collect so much money, right? And that, that was, I, I was not aware of this detail. I, I really grew up in an era that was like, you could place a call to anywhere. Like even in my like late teenhood, like with my, you know, iPhone, you could like place a call to England or something. Like it was truly, I think one of the smaller details that really stood out in my mind during that time. But yeah, just a lot of, you know, interviewing parents. Um, and I, I actually got a copy of the handbook of model rocketry, the 1976 edition. Um, Because I wanted it to feel real. I wanted it to be the book that Ro would be looking at um, as she was building the model rocket. And so um, just small details like those, I, I really tried to kind of be faithful. And I, I, um, yeah, like even with like Rose Mom, like Rose Mom listens to a lot of uh, 60s music just because I, you know, she grew up during the 60s and 70s. So um, just even keeping in, in, in line with those details as well. I, I, I tried to make it sound like the 80s. I, I hope I succeeded. Um, I, I hope it wasn't too anachronistic, but definitely was an effort on my part.
0: Um, you mentioned you, 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 you've got the book, do you do things like your characters? um I mean will you try to dress like a character when you're writing their perspective I, I know well uh, that, that might slow you down when you're uh, doing it first thing in the morning <laughs> to get it done right away gotta but... get into
1: my windbreaker like
0: <laughs> <laughs> do I mean do you have like uh, music that you'll listen to that reminds you of that character do you have an, a 1983 soundtrack going while you're writing this what things do you do to get to get yourself there
1: Yeah. I remember there was a day where I just, I listened to what material girl on loop. I was in that like eighties mood, I think. Um, I, so in terms of music that set me in the eighties, I think I listened to a lot more modern just because my music tastes are like strange. They like range from like indie to like, soundtracks it's just all over the place and so i don't think i have a quite a refined taste yet but um yeah i listened to some 80s music just to get me into the mood and then also just kind of like the music i i had a very specific playlist for this book when i was writing it so i i relied on playing that playlist a lot
0: a playlist that you're gonna make public on spotify
1: it is public on spotify I cool think. what's it
0: called where can we find it
1: Um, it's so it's on my like private Spotify account. I'm, I'm very bad at like, you know, making like things, uh, accessible. So I think it's on it's one of my like 200 playlists on my, on my Spotify, but I can definitely link it on my website just as a, as a, oh, this is what Christina was listening to as she was drafting the book. Um, but yeah, it included like tracks by like Pentatonix. Um, it included like, I think, um, like indie artists like the shins like it was just very eclectic I think but um I think it all. hopefully you know it it was a very personal playlist so hopefully it it translated into a, a book that evoked some of the feelings I was listening to when I was listening to the playlist
0: it occurred to me after i asked that that's probably a question i should scratch from the repertoire that's too personal a question to ask a writer what's the matter with me that's, <laughs> that's i
1: mean i, I it's, it's open to the, if someone like search me up on spotify they would find me in my like other like 200 embarrassing playlists. but yeah i mean i don't mind they can totally like go through that
0: but yeah. it might be something fun with your copy of uh, clues to the universe as you're reading it listen to the, okay. the playlist yeah
1: i'll definitely link it on my website though that's a really good point
0: um, two more questions about Benji and then we'll maybe start to think about uh, wrapping things up but Benji into the comic books well, obviously he's he's got a, a particular motive uh, that we've been kind of hinting around so I won't spoil for why he's, he's so into comic books uh, but that led me to believe that you are at least a little bit into comic books can you foresee a time when you might write a comic book story and if you could have any type of superpower what would you have
1: That's such a good question. Yeah, I mean, I I actually got into comics for writing this book. I knew my main character liked comics. And so I was like, oh, I'm like very curious i um, currently working through, I think, Marjorie Liu's uh, Monstrous comic series, which is currently very good. Um, but yeah, that was definitely a thing that I like picked up like for research and then I like got into it. Um, and in terms of writing a comic book, I'm a terrible artist. I'm no Benji, like I stick figures only for my end. So I don't think I'm, I have it in me to write a comic book, but that sounds very cool. Like I'm very much in admiration of people who can draw and write at the same time. Um, and in terms of the superpower that I would like to get, um, I, I've always thought about it. I think that it always comes up during like icebreakers with friends and stuff, and every time my answer changes. But um, I, think, I think I still settled on the ability to teleport. I would love to be able to go anywhere without any transportation costs.
0: I like that, yes. Uh, especially uh, once COVID's gone and you've got to do your author tours. My God, how how helpful! <laughs> exactly.
1: Yeah. Instead of driving across the country, I'll just appear in a bookstore. Like,
0: great. Right. <laughs> Are you going to use your teleportation power to save people? Heck no! You could get hurt doing that. We're we're traveling on book tour. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've always joked that maybe a great superpower for me would be just the ability to uh, change channels on my television, but without a remote, without having to, t- to touch anything. So I couldn't be expected to, to save anyone with power like that, but it would, would make my life marginally easier.
1: <laughs> right. With great power comes great responsibility. And I, I, I don't know if I can handle the responsibility of saving people.
0: <laughs> help us. Help us, Rob. The our TV is playing the wrong channel. Hold on, citizen. I got you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so um this is a question I ask everybody but I know Benji would want to know the answer uh Christina Lee have you ever seen a flying saucer and or a ghost
1: oh oh that is so interesting um I don't necessarily have like a big you know alien or ghost story but a couple of days ago um I so I'm like living with a couple friends and uh um they're my friend like texted me because I was like upstairs and she was downstairs she's like there's a ghost in the house and I was like what because I'm very scared of the supernatural like I'm terrified of like horror movies and everything and she was like I hear pipes dripping like it's something's wrong like something's going on um and then uh I mean a couple of days later we just found out it was like this like massive like leak in the house like it was you know plumbing had to be like fixed and everything but yeah that was my (laughs) that's my recent brush with the supernatural just some leaky pipes but I really was was believing that that like I was this is gonna be my ghost encounter for for a moment um but yeah I mean I I, I don't know nothing nothing other super otherworldly has happened to me um before or since um but I I don't think there are no aliens out there I think there's a possibility that there's some lo- like extraterrestrial life but I'll just like leave that door open like maybe it'll happen maybe it won't So
0: you're not quite that Benji's level of belief then
1: I'm not like, oh, I saw an alien today, but <laughs> I, I very much I'm like, yeah, I, I think aliens are out there. I'm, you know, not going to aggressively pursue this like hypothesis, but I, I I'm open to the belief.
0: I don't know. I think that when you learn everything there is to know about economics, and there's <laughs> there's a lull when you need some new information, that's that's the exactly. time
1: exactly, exactly. <laughs> Just dabble in some space travel, yeah.
0: And as a homeowner, I have to say, if I am uh, hearing weird noises on the pipes, I would so much rather it be a ghost than water damage. I'm going to have to pay for. Oh my god! Oh yeah,
1: yeah. We we found that out. Ghosts are probably cheaper to deal with for sure.
0: Take the ghost every time. <laughs> <laughs> Christy, thank you uh, so much for this this wonderful conversation. I have enjoyed getting to know you. I've, I've enjoyed your book, uh, and um, I know that, like I say. Um, a few years from now, you're gonna be back and you're gonna be on book number seven, and we're gonna, I will have all new questions for you and you'll have all new ghost stories for me. It will be a wonderful conversation that I'm looking forward to. Uh, for tonight, um, my final question is always some variation on if there was uh, some bit of knowledge you could go back and impart to yourself at age 12 or anywhere along your writing journey uh, that you feel would have made a significant uh, difference in your life. Would have saved you time and might save time for all the uh, uh, aspiring authors who are listening to us now. What would you go back and tell yourself? Yeah,
1: that's such a good question. I think I, I, I think I would just tell myself that like things happen in time and to be patient with my craft. I think a big, I mean, it could be a personality trait, could be a personal fly. Depends on how you look at it. But I'm a very impatient person, and so I always, I'm always kind of running ahead of myself. And and when I was younger, I was like, oh my gosh, like. I'm writing my first book. I have to get it published within two years or something like that. I set some arbitrary timeline for myself. And I realized that I, I really have my, the whole rest of my life to write. And so I'm, you know, always a writer. I'm always growing. I'm writing the books that I would not have been capable of writing when I was, you know, 16, 17 or so. And so I, I I'm, I just would tell myself to be patient with my craft and that that things happen, you know, not on the timeline that, that you initially assume, but that, that things happen if you put in the work for it. So, yeah.
0: I don't want to tell
1: her that I'm, I i don't want to spoil it to my younger self that I would publish a book. So I think I, I'd keep that suspense, you know, but I, I would tell her to be patient because things will happen in time.
0: Yeah, we don't want to get complacent.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I don't want to like insert some weird space time warp and the, the space-time continuum or whatever whatever it is um but
0: young no, you goes up and says oh my god I think it's something with the pipes and it's not it's you like the flash and, and Batman v Superman coming through the the timeline and okay. say Christina be patient as an impatient person would that have helped you think
1: I that's a good question. Would that have helped? Like would it would it have created an alternate reality? Um I I think it I, I think it would have. I mean I honestly I I think I, I part of me just wants to go back in time and like cheer myself on as a kid. Cause I was like, yeah, you're doing it. Like, you know, you're not doing it well, but like you're getting there. <laughs> um, and so I, yeah, I mean, I I could give myself advice as a kid, but also like younger Christina was doing all right. I think she was, she was trying her best. And, and that's really all I can ask of her. Right. So yeah. I mean, I think she, she was, she was doing okay as is.
0: <laughs> now here, uh, the Christina that is no longer, fearful and shy who is out there loud and proud promoting her book where can a esteemed audience find you online to learn more information about your playlist follow you on twitter all that good stuff
1: absolutely so um, all my information about me is on my website uh, it's christina lee so it's just my name writes.com um and then my twitter that's the same for my instagram handle and my twitter is c so c l i writes um and I hang out mostly at those places. Um, you know, occasionally you'll find me maybe on TikTok or something. <laughs> but those are kind of my main platforms. So, yeah, love to interact uh, with readers, um, teachers, librarians, everyone. And uh, yeah, so that's kind of where I hang out these days.
0: And as always, esteemed audience, head to middlegradenincha.com get interviews with thousands of uh, publishing professionals authors literary agents editors folks you would find interesting uh download your free copy of banneker bones and the giant robot Beans*; that will change your life it's free go ahead before the podcast is even over it could be on your kindle you'll be fine uh and as always god willing i'm alive i'll see you next week happy 2021